Welcome once again to the Dipshit Files, episode 56. I'm Mr. Scriptkeeper. And I'm Mrs. Scriptkeeper. And what the hell do we have for us today? We've got a crazy-ass story. Yeah, well, today's case is a bit of a strange one. So, we're going to be covering the case of Daniel Rakowitz. 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 It seems like there's a lot of jokes in there. But (laughs) tell us about it. (laughs) Well, there's a good chance you've never heard of this case because I'd never heard of this case. Right, and you know a lot about these things. Yeah, this this was a new one for me. So, this event takes place in New York City back in the 80s. Now, Daniel was quite delusional. He, he was an eccentric guy, he had a, and he had a bit of a God complex. And at one point, he also thought that he'd become a famous cult leader. Oh, jeez. Well. <laughs> well, one thing led to another. Daniel ended up making soup out of human remains. And, it, and if that's not disturbing enough for you, he then fed the soup to the homeless. Okay. Well, so that's gross. This is an icky file. (laughs) Let's open it up after this. Daniel Rakowitz was born on the 24th of December. So he was born on Christmas Eve in 1960. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he was born on Christmas Eve does come up again in the story. You might think he's a gift, but he was not. (laughs) He's kind of a creep. He was a coal in the stocking that would just keep on giving. So Daniel's parents were Anthony and Velma. uh, And he also did have two older siblings. Now, His dad worked as a criminal investigator for the U.S. Army, which meant that the family moved around a lot. Mm. So Daniel didn't really have a settled, stable home life for quite a bit. But the place... A lot of military kids were like that. Right. They were were, uh, transient, I guess. Yeah. But the place where he probably spent the most time as a child was in the city of Rockport in Texas. Now, Daniel didn't exactly have the best start in life because... When he was three years old, his mother actually died, Mm. which is obviously incredibly traumatic for anyone to lose their mother at such a young age. But not only did his mother, his mother died right in front of him. Oh, no. So apparently the family was like on a business trip or something uh, for his dad because they were in Paris at the time and they were in a hotel room and it was just Daniel and his mom. And I guess she had a heart attack. And she died right in front of him. Wow. And he was three? he was only three years old. Mm. This did have a traumatic impact on his life because he remembers this happening. Mm. It was very damaging for him. Um, but that's not even that's not even it. If that wasn't enough for Daniel to go through as a, as this tiny little kid, um, three months after his mom passed away, his dad got remarried, mm-hmm. which is definitely pretty quick. I mean, yeah. His wife just died three months, 90 days. That's it. Right. Um, but that's not that's not the worst part either. Daniel's dad got married to his mom's younger sister. Oh, boy. So, okay. Getting married three months after your wife died is pretty quick. But hmm. then you marry your wife's sister. That's a little awkward. Yeah. So, if you think about it, Daniel's aunt is now his stepmom. 
It's just weird. Right. So technically, if you think about it, his dad's also his uncle. So I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's just his uncle dad. Well, you're your own uncle. That's really strange. Makes you your own cousin, and it's uh, yeah, we don't like it either. So following all of this weirdness, Daniel didn't exactly have a normal childhood. Which you know, to be honest, like, were we expecting him? After yeah. all of that, so right. to have a normal childhood. Right. When he was just five years old, he started to have visions. Now, he had these visions of three wise men approaching him. Uh, and it was because of these visions of these three wise men that Daniel started to believe that he had divine powers. Hmm. He even started to perform miracles on his classmates. Yikes. And he was also heard, heard saying that he thought he was Jesus reincarnated. Okay. Now, this is where I. That happens to a lot of folk. There's a lot of folk out there. The the Jesus complex. Yeah. So this is where I kind of started to wonder: Does his birthday being on the 24th of December, Christmas Eve, does that have something to do with the fact that he thinks he's Jesus? It's a sign, even though you know they've changed the calendar multiple times. Right. Right. Well, he actually did have quite a fascination with his birthday. When I was doing my research, I couldn't truly make sense of this. So I'm just going to actually share with you what he what he thought and what he said. Okay. Because um, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So I'm not even going to try and explain it. Okay. But he thought that his birthday had a divine meaning. I'm just going to read what he said. Okay. Um, he said, quote, I was born on Christmas Eve, 12, 24, 60, which equals 96. <laughs> I have 18 letters in my name. I was born at 9.02 p.m. in the 21st hour, which they say signifies the coming of Lord Jesus. Okay. In the Bible. Well, that that's all I need to know. <clears throat> so. Uh, Let's get him writing the new gospels as soon as possible. Could he find a Peter right. and maybe a, a Mike <laughs> and a John or something? So let's be realistic. This is not exactly Matthew. normal behavior for a five-year-old. I mean, he was five. Right. So, I mean, yeah, there, there's kind of something to think about there. Uh, so he's only five doing all this, but honestly, it's not surprising. I mean, after the trauma of watching his mother just die right in front of him, his dad marrying his aunt. I mean, what is normal for a child that's gone through all of that? He probably had to grow up in some ways way right. too fast. Like, or had way too many grown-up thoughts too fast. Yeah. Right. Well, because he was exhibiting this this weird kind of behavior, saying he was Jesus, saying he was having all of these like visions, like them child preachers. Down he did, he did get badly bullied while he was in school that follows daniel's dad also put him in psychiatric wards from a very young age as well and daniel was forced to take ritalin to address his behavior and it's also rumored um and i say rumored because i couldn't really confirm it but there were a few sources that said that daniel also received electric shock therapy as Mm. a very young child goddamn between the ages of like 12 and 14 they were hooking him up to batteries and shit but like this electricity is pretty interesting you know what we should do hook it up to a chetron see if uh, we can fucking fix a broken chetron let's fix so, a broken chetron you know my empathy yeah! sorry this this guy did some awful terrible things but my empathy was kind of an overdrive for his childhood right it's i mean it's absolutely awful what sucks is it's actually pretty common i know to have these kind of th- none I of these know. are are those things where you're like holy shit that should never happen to it right is, it's just it's it just it's weird how it because we've talked about it in other shows there's like a switch uh some people have it switches that are installed in their psyche and something flips them yeah, on yeah. um whereas other people experience the same things and it never flips the switch on so yeah. 
We, and, and that could be either way. There's a psycho <laughs> that's there's psychos that you could be super kind to them their whole mm -hmm. life. No matter what happens, they're still going to do psychotic things. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean murder. Psychos are going to psycho. And then right. there's people like I know, like your mom, mm -hmm. who's been through very traumatic Worst things. Worst things. Yeah. And still ended up becoming right. kind and sweet right. and lovable and laughed, laughing all the time. So it's 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 a uh, weird it's, ass world. It's, it's a weird, strange thing but to think about because we don't have had, answers for these things. Right. So if this guy did have a trigger. Mm -hmm. This shit was definitely that was flopping its little floppers at the yeah. Like <laughs> we're gonna hit it eventually. Right. So as Daniel grew older, his behavior became more and more rebellious. I mean, and you know, that's kind of normal as you move into your teenage years. Yeah. But as he moved into his teen years, it, he did. He got worse. Now at the time, Daniel was a teenager. His dad had left the U.S. Army. And was then, at the time, a deputy sheriff in Texas. And evidently, Daniel's dad was quite a disciplinarian. Mm. Um, but after the years of being committed to psychiatric wards and being put on drugs and medication and all this stuff, Daniel had developed a very deep resentment towards his dad. Right. He refused to listen to anything his dad had to say. He had no respect for him. And just completely rebelled against anything that his dad wanted. His rebellion led Daniel to start drinking really heavily and moving into drugs. He was also smoking and selling a lot of pot. And with Daniel's dad being a deputy sheriff, uh, he actually arrested his own son one time for marijuana possession. Which, what a dick. <coughs> honestly, <laughs> which, honestly, I actually think it's kind of a good thing. If it were any other drug besides pot. I mean, because I've I've come across quite a few cases where the parent is part of the police force as a sheriff or something like that, and they end up just covering up what their child is doing, right? Because they don't want anyone else to know, um, because it you know reflects poorly on them, or they're afraid yeah, they're going to be judged or whatever. Yeah, which is obviously not the way to go about things. Right. Um, people need to be held accountable for their actions because how else are they going to ever learn especially when they're you know young people although we are talking about pot he got arrested right. for pot i think that's bullshit but you know this was the 80s and it wasn't legal whatever narc so right. anyways the thing is daniel's dad is not exactly a very good person uh so he didn't really go about the arrest the right way he kind of set his son up oh boy which made even more i mean he was doing it but he set his son up to be arrested. Um, so, you know, he kind of used his a in as a father. Exactly. And to make it worse, probably. Yeah, which, you know, he didn't go about it the right way. Things between the two of them were just getting worse and worse. It was getting to the point where Daniel and his dad were actually threatening to kill each other. Oh, boy. It was so bad in that house that eventually Daniel's dad just kicked him out. So after Daniel was kicked out of his dad's house, he actually just went off and he joined the army. But he wasn't in the army for too long, though. And it's not actually known what Daniel was really doing with his time after he left his dad's. We know that he did return to Texas after leaving the army for a short while. But then it's thought that he just kind of drifted, you know, kind of like a, uh, he just a drifter. What we do know is that when Daniel was 22 years old, he married a 14-year-old girl. Why? But I know. How? Why? I, I don't know. Many questions. How that was even allowed. Right. I mean, I don't know what the laws were in 1982. 
Um, not that, I don't think. But, but when this happened, it surely shouldn't have been allowed. So not God only... Damn, Texas. Not only did he marry a child, but Daniel was also abusive in this relationship. Oh, boy. I mean, of course... Well, that makes sense. If you're going to marry a child, you're... I mean, of course, exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm, there's no innocent reason to marry a 14-year-old. Yeah. I don't have a lot At of comments about this. It's right. all just... Daniel himself... Seething had admitted to the abuse and uh, he has spoken about a few things that had happened and as an example there was this one time where he literally tied his child wife to the refrigerator and then left her all day while he went out and I think it's safe to say that his wife was child wife was pretty scared of him because he used to brag to her about all the crimes he had committed so evidently he said that he had strangled a sex worker Oh, he boy. had decapitated a dog, and he gouged out a woman's eyes with a screwdriver. That's pillow talk? What's going on I, here? I How guess so. And she's... He's, she's 14. Goddamn. Now, whether any of this actually happened, we don't know, because this is all coming from Daniel, and Daniel is delusional, and he doesn't always tell the truth. But I can guarantee you that his little child wife believed him. Right. She yeah. was terrified. So not much else is known about the relationship, but thankfully, the marriage didn't last too long because by the time Daniel turned 25, he left Texas for good and he headed to New York. And they left her behind. Yes. And that's where today's, case, uh, today's case we're going to talk about takes place is okay. in New York. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, when Daniel arrives in New York, he heads straight for Tompkins Square Park. And Tompkins Square Park is located in the East Village of Manhattan. Boom. Now, New York City's Lower East Side in the 1980s was a whole different world altogether than where it came from and what we know now. Known as one of uh, New York City's oldest neighborhoods, the area would undergo massive changes over the last 40 years. But exactly how different was this area than it is today? Today, the Lower East Side is comp comprised of various areas, including, um, and I've never been there, mm -hmm. but a place called Chinatown, The Bowery, Alphabet City, Little Italy, and Two Bridges. Okay. Okay, so those are the, the areas. Now, while the Lower East Side, also known as the LES, is known for its Jewish history, in the early 1900s, it wasn't until the 1960s that it would begin to develop into the Lower East Side that many remember today, a place rich in culture and a mix of different people from different parts of the world. Right. Despite the heavy crime, drugs, homelessness, and the landlord-driven fires that would destroy abandoned buildings, the area would begin to attract residents who were musicians and artists, among other things. By the time the mid-70s rolled around, the Lower East Side was known as its own place with its own identity, separate from that of the greater New York City area. Known as the central hub for all things creative, the Lower East Side became the birthplace of the sounds of hardcore punk and other forms of entertainment. Residents from all over the city would come to the Lower East Side and watch bands like Cro-Mags, Bad Brains, Black Flag, and many others. Point. So aside from the hardcore scene, there's individuals who wanted to fit in with people that they could connect with and who might be in the same boat as they were. Maybe they're just trying to get by or maybe they're chasing like their musical dream, but it became kind of like this art hub. This area already built up a reputation 
uh, for all of this. And on August 6th, 1988, the Thompson Square Park riots would further strengthen the idea that the Lower East Side wasn't just any other neighborhood. That was not for it was not for the faint of heart. Hmm. Violence exploded between civilians and officers. Now, when I was doing my research, I I'd never heard of this. It's what? crazy what happened during this period of time. Some officers covered their shields to avoid being identified as police officers. Me. Many were hurt and or killed during this time. So Tompkins Square Park was essentially located at the heart of all of this violence. And um, we could go on a whole episode on just this. What they, yeah. This. Sure. I don't know. Have you ever heard of the Tompkins Square or the, 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 the riots? No. I, I, I know I've heard of <clears throat> so things in that era. but There's a lot to it. But in a nutshell, uh, gentrification. They were trying to gentrify this area. Right. Um, and, well, so it's, there's a lot to it. There's a lot to it. It's pretty crazy. It's a crazy ass story. So there's a lot of turmoil going, a lot of conflict yes. going on at this point. So today the park looks a lot different from what it looked like in the eighties. Throughout the decades, it's been renovated along with the, the surrounding neighborhoods. In the eighties, this was a time where New York was going going through a period of sig- significant gentrification. A lot of wealthy people were moving into Manhattan. Right, refiguring everything. Right, yeah. and because of this, people that were less wealthy were basically forced out of their homes. Yep. And there was a huge mu- movement against this um, this whole thing. So that's where a lot of this violence came came in, and and it was just really crazy. There's a lot to this, and I'm trying not to segue into the riots. So. Tompkins Park Square, Tompkins Square Park, kind of became the center of all of this um, weirdness. And there were hundreds of homeless people living in the park. Pretty much the whole park was just full of tents. Hmm. And there was a sense of community there, you know. Hmm. They they were all living kind of together. Um, But the park also became known for its extreme high crime, as well as becoming the center for illegal drug trade. So. This is exactly where Daniel ended up in 1985, and this is kind of in the heart of all this, what this was going on, and he just kind of fit right in. Mm. He had a lot of the same kind of beliefs as a lot of the people in the park, uh, anti-establishment, you know, et cetera, mm-hmm. and he just started living his life. He pitched a tent, and that was it, and Daniel fit in as well because he now had this new audience to listen to his crazy ramblings about his supernatural powers, oh, no. about the fact that he was Jesus, yeah. and he, how he had this divine power. So let's just say that Thompson's Square Park definitely had a lot of characters, but even amongst all of these characters, Daniel stuck out. Hmm. He stood out, and he was labeled as the weirdo. This probably didn't help his reputation, but he had a pet rooster, <laughs> which he called Rooster. <laughs> yeah, and he'd, I'm toasting off the rooster. <laughs> and oh, he, yeah. he'd walk around with this rooster on his shoulder like he was some kind of pirate with a parrot. So Dude. Daniel had this new audience, and he would go around <laughs> telling people that he was God, literally. And whilst he's in the park, he set up his own religion called the Church of 966. Okay. I don't know what that even is. All right. Or what's significant about those numbers. I don't know. He'd often compare... It's like 666, but 966. So good. So he'd compare himself to Jesus. And while he was going around preaching to all the people that he could in the park, he'd ramble on about crucifixions, about sacrifices and reincarnation and the power of Satan. 
This is when Daniel started to have fantasies about starting his own cult. It's said that Daniel was inspired by Charles Manson. Good role model, right? Yeah, that's right and up Jesus's alley. I'm I know. Sure, well, he dreamed. He dreamed of having this uh, following. He dreamed that he had this following around him, where he could talk about his divine powers, and his followers would believe him and follow everything he did. But he didn't just have dreams of becoming a cult leader. He dreamed of becoming president of the United States. Yeah, why not? And he even said, by the 1996 election, he'd be president. Yeah, almost. I think it's safe to say Daniel definitely has the characteristics of a lot of cult leaders. Yeah, yeah. He's got a God complex. He's delusional. He's got a rooster. Named rooster. They just let some shit on his shoulder. You know what's going on. So I think even through all of that, Daniel lacks uh, one of the key characteristics of the cult leaders, at least all of the well-known ones. Daniel wasn't very charismatic because everything that Daniel was saying was uh, no different than every other cult leader. Mm. Let's be honest. No one believed Daniel. Everyone thought Daniel was a weirdo. Mm. Everyone was like, yeah, stay clear of him. Oh, no. Yeah. And he didn't realize that. He didn't realize it. Kept trying. It's obviously not the case with other cult leaders. Even though Daniel had the characteristics of possibly a cult leader, he didn't become a cult leader. He just really wanted to be. He, right. Well, he lacked the charisma and probably intelligence as well. Hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. They, most of the cult leaders, they seem to be really highly intelligent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But well, I mean, there's, there's another really disturbing thing about Daniel as well. Even though he loved his pet rooster, rooster, <laughs> I don't think he'd do anything to harm the rooster, but the same could not be said for other animals because Daniel gained a reputation for killing animals. Mm. It's rumored that while Daniel was in the park, he had a number of cats and dogs as pets, but he would always end up killing them. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why. Um, I can't even think about, but Daniel was claiming that he was killing these animals as part of some sort of sacrifice, which is a part of his 966 religion. Okay. Um, so he's in the park. I wonder killing. what cartoons that guy was watching. Yeah. Sure. I don't know. I've got to admit, it's kind of hard to research what Daniel was like in the park because there are so many conflicting sources. I mean, there's some sources that say that he was this scary satanic cult leader, which he obviously wasn't. He was definitely trying to be, but right. he wasn't. So Daniel made the park his home for the next few years. He lived in a tent. He sold marijuana to get by. He even gained the reputation of being quite the handy chef, which you should definitely take note of. Uh, <laughs> right. Quite often, Daniel would prepare food and feed it to the other homeless people in the park. And then in 1988, things started to change. There was a huge effort by the authorities to essentially clean up New York. And that included moving all the homeless people that were living in Tompkins Square Park. Now, obviously, this did not go down well with the people living in the park, which you can obviously understand because, you know, it's been a few years where they lived there. Mm -hmm. It was their home. Where where are they supposed to go? They're homeless. They've got nowhere to go to go and you're breaking up a community too yeah, right so dysfunctional they brought in a curfew to try and prevent people from sleeping in the park uh this didn't go down well at all because the residents of the park there was a huge protest and unfortunately the police did not deal well with this what they well it was called a peaceful protest right now what happened was um the the individuals were protesting because their their form of protest was to just st- sleep in the park okay um, because that's their home and that's where they've slept. 
it was called a protest because they were going against the rules. Right. Okay. So it was the middle of the night, peaceful protest. Basically, people just went to bed is what right. happened. Right. They did exactly what they did before. <clears throat> right. Yeah. So the police, uh, because they considered it a protest because they, people were breaking the law, they just charged in there in the middle of the night and just started beating people. Okay. Um, that's, you know, that's what I found. So then the people started fighting back. There was a huge riot. Um, the the violence just broke out. It was no longer a peaceful protest because right. of people are defending themselves. And yeah. it was just absolutely crazy. And the violence lasted throughout the whole night until it eventually came to an end at 6 a.m. the next morning. So the peaceful protest that ended up as a riot was handled not well by the police. And our douchebag was in the midst <clears> of all this. Right. And over but over 100 complaints of police brutality were made just from that one riot alone. Right. Daniel's involvement in this specific riot is not actually known uh, the detail of it. He was obviously there. But after the riots, uh, no one was allowed to live in Tompkins Square Park. So he had to find somewhere else to go. By the time uh, we get to 1989, which is a year later... Daniel is living in an apartment with a couple named Sylvia and Sean. Daniel had met, uh, first met Sylvia in Tompkins Square Park. He had actually actually sold her some weed, and they just eventually got to know each other. And after the riot, Sylvia said that, Daniel, you can move into my apartment if you'd like. You can come live with me and my boyfriend. It's fine. Hmm. So Daniel moves in, and he agrees to split the $500 um a month rent. Why'd that be tight to have $500 a month rent? Well, see, and that's the thing that I thought was really interesting. I mean, I don't know about New York, but I thought 500 bucks for an apartment back in 1989 was crazy expensive. Right. Yeah. I thought, I mean, for inflation, it would be, you know, and I had an apartment. Okay. I was going to say I had an apartment in 91, 1991. Um, and it was a one bedroom apartment and I paid, 360 a month. Yeah. So. Yeah, same. I had a pretty yeah. cheap one too. Well, I just thought that was kind of expensive. But Daniel didn't exactly have a proper job. Mm. He's out there selling selling pot, but he's right. clearly making enough to cover the rent and any other kind of bills or anything. Daniel, um, he'd landed on his feet. He had an apartment. Uh, he was really happy. He had a kitchen. He could have a warm shower every day. He watched TV. Um, things yeah. were going absolutely great right until sylvia and sean split up and both of them decided to move out now obviously daniel was earning enough to cover half the rent but he couldn't afford the whole rent himself which meant that daniel was left in the apartment but he needed to find a roommate Mm -hmm. now the reason why i thought this was kind of interesting uh, I've read in several sources the reason why Sylvia and Sean split up was because of Daniel. <laughs> oh, fuck, really? So Daniel, um, he was great. He's delusional, mm-hmm. uh, very difficult to live with. Uh, he would talk incessantly about things that made no sense. He'd make bad decisions. He'd, he'd forget to turn the stove off. You know, I think he may have had um, serious mental illness right. here. Yeah. Um, but undiagnosed, I think. Yes. And so Sean couldn't handle it anymore. And he broke up with Sylvia. He split up with her and was like, dude, I'm out. And so, yeah, anyways, they broke up this guy. Yeah. Yeah, So he needed to find a roommate. Uh, that's when he meets a woman named Monica Beerley. 
Now, Monica was born in Switzerland, and she moved to New York to pursue a dream of becoming a dancer. She was a student at Martha Graham School of Dance, which is, um, I guess it's like a reputable school, but it's also kind of expensive. So in order to pay her bills, pay for college, etc., she was working at Billy's Topless Bar in the Chelsea neighborhood. Hmm. Now, Monica and Daniel first met in Thompson Square Park. It's not actually known how they met. I mean, it could um, assume that Monica was maybe buying some weed or something like that. But it's rumored that they had shared interest in drugs. Now, Monica was looking for somewhere to live. So Daniel just so happened to need a roommate. And he was like, hey, you can move in with me. So the two of them are now living together. Uh, and it's thought at some point that the two of them did kind of start up a relationship. Right. The details of this are, are pretty vague. Um, most of the details that came from this type of uh, story came from Sylvia. Sylvia is the one that, you know, said that Monica and Daniel had a relationship. Daniel said that they had a relationship. Actually, Monica said that they had a relationship, but all this information came from Sylvia. Okay. So it's reported that they were boyfriend and girlfriend, that they had a relationship. Other sources say that they they were in an open relationship, right. uh, kind of friends with benefits situation. And then there are some reports that say there was no romantic relationship at all, and they were just roommates. But what we do know for certain is that Daniel became infatuated with Monica. Uh, And according to Daniel, their relationship did turn sexual at some point, but Monica broke off their relationship. um, And after they broke up, after they kind of, whatever their relationship was, Monica started bringing other men back to the apartment, which absolutely infuriated Daniel. And the two of them would argue about this. So one thing that I do want to share is because Daniel was uh, anti-establishment guy, mm-hmm. kind of um, uh, paranoid. He never wanted his name on any contracts. So when he moved in with Sylvia and her boyfriend, mm-hmm. their name was on the lease. He like he didn't have a driver's license. You know, he didn't he didn't do any of those things. So right. he just he, lived there and he, paid him rent. <clears throat> right. He never signed any contracts. So when. Sylvia was moving out of the apartment. She left some of her stuff behind. Um, She was leaving, you know. Right. And she warned Daniel. She's like, don't move Monica in here. Uh, If if you move Monica in here, she is going to, she just wants the apartment. And Daniel's like, no, she's in love with me. And Sylvia's like, no, no, she just wants the apartment. As soon as her name's on the apartment, she's going to kick you out. Right. Right? (laughs) So Monica started bringing other men back back to the apartment obviously monica has moved in mm-hmm. she's living with daniel sylvia's stuff is still stashed off in a corner somewhere nobody's and, name is on any lease at well this point. M- monica's is okay monica took over the lease she had right so she starts bringing other guys back to the apartment daniel's pissed about it the two of them would argue about this all the time daniel uh, he didn't like the fact that Monica basically wasn't interested in him anymore. And it got to the point where Monica's friends were literally telling her, kick that guy out. Right. Because uh, Daniel, as we know from his previous He's marriage, yeah, creeping. he can be violent. We don't know for certain, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was threatening Monica in some way. So hmm. Monica was like, okay, I need to get Daniel out of the apartment And that is exactly what she did. She managed to kick Daniel out of the apartment. But the way she did it, 
Uh, she kind of went behind Daniel's back, which I don't blame her personally. Basically, what happened was that the lease was up on the apartment. And because Daniel didn't have a conventional job uh, and he refused to sign stuff anyways right. he refused yeah. right uh he refused to sign the lease so it makes sense monica she did have a job she signed the lease she put her name on the lease and this is what she told daniel she's like hey you can stay here and you could just pay me the rent well obviously that all happened monica signed the lease as soon as the lease was in monica's name monica was like okay daniel get the fuck out yeah monica gave daniel three days Please. to move out okay Daniel completely lost it. He did not want to be homeless again, I bet. Well, no. He's like, how dare you? This is my apartment. How dare you kick me out of my place? Mm -hmm. But you know, what if you, if you actually think about it, what Monica did, she went behind Daniel's back, signed the lease and kicked him out. That's pretty shitty. Yeah. You know, but we're talking about Daniel here. (laughs) He's not a normal guy. He would be shittier. He can be violent, aggressive, threatening. So, after Daniel receives the news that he's being kicked out, he goes to Sylvia, right? And he tells his old roommate, he goes to her to vent, and he says, hey, what am I supposed to do? She's going to kick me out of my apartment. I got nowhere to go. And Sylvia is just like, there's not much I can do. I don't know what to tell you. In response to this, Daniel just comes out and says, well, I'm going to kill her. Which Sylvia, you know, she didn't. She didn't believe him. She just thought this, oh, this is just Daniel. It's a Daniel thing to do, right? He's just talking a load of shit. He's delusional. He says weird shit like this all the time. Um, She doesn't believe what Daniel says anyways most of the time. I I wouldn't either. Right. You know? Yeah. He's the kind of person that talks so much nonsense, but he never follows through with anything. So he's the weird guy that walks around with a rooster on his shoulder and and talks about being Jesus. Right. right? (laughs) Rooster Jesus. So then a couple days later, Daniel talks to Sylvia again and says, I'm going to kill Monica tomorrow. I need you to help me get rid of the body. Sylvia is just like, okay, yeah, sure, all right, you're going to kill her. Mm-hmm. This is a fun conversation. <laughs> well, she didn't, she didn't believe him, which now I'm starting <sighs> to think, like, um, if, he's, if he's doing this again, this is like the second time he's come to you and said this stuff, you mm-hmm. maybe you start taking him seriously. But right. she didn't. She didn't believe him. And she thought he was joking. But she would soon realize Daniel wasn't joking. On the 19th of August, 1989, Sylvia heads over to Daniel's apartment, right? So she's on her way to work. Um, She's stopping over uh, to the apartment, and she notices that the lights are off. Daniel always had the lights on because he was afraid of the dark. Okay. So when she's heading to work, she's walking by the apartment, and she sees that the lights are off. There's some flickering in the window, but the lights are off. She thought that was really weird. Right. Um, So she knocks on the door to kind of check in and find out what's going on. Knocks on the door. No one answers. So she lets herself in. She walks into the kitchen and she sees that there's a pot on the stove. um, And she sees that Daniel's TV is in the kitchen. Now, Daniel is always in front of that TV. After he uh, landed in a house, basically, and discovered the virtues of television, he became (laughs) so obsessed, you'd always find Daniel in front of the TV. Always, always. So his TV's in the kitchen. That's abnormal because his TV was always in his room. She thought that was weird. And there was a pot on the stove. So she walks over. Um, she walks to 
Daniel's nowhere to be found. She goes to Monica's room, knocks on the door. There's no answer. And she's like, where the fuck is everybody? There's The stove is on. Daniel forgot to turn the stove off again, right? So she walks over. She looks in the pot to see what's in it. Mm-hmm. When she opens the lid, inside is the head of Monica. Uh, the head had been burnt on the stove from oh. cooking. The eyes were basically gouged out. Oh, God. Daniel had followed through with his plans. He, he sure did. He had murdered Monica. Then he carried out this act of decapitating her head from her body. Unfortunately, the discoveries didn't stop there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's more so to the body. Yeah, she's... Uh, of course, she sees the head in the pot. Immediately, she feels the vomit rising. So oh. she runs to the bathroom because she's going to throw up, right? Makes sense. Um, she goes and she goes to the bathroom to puke. Uh, but then she found... Oh, no. <laughs> right. She found the rest of uh, the body in the bathtub. The torso. And- right. So the torso... She just saw the rib cage. There was basically nothing. It was just bones. It was like nothing left on it. It had been filleted. Oh, because he... Right. So he had taken all the meat off of it. The bathroom was like a a horror film. There was blood everywhere. Fuck. Following this discovery, she then decides to leave the apartment. She calls Daniel. Um, She didn't call the police right away. She called Daniel first. Um, Daniel lets her know... He's like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you had to see that. So she gets, she's like, what the fuck? So she gets off the phone. I guess she gets her wits about about herself. She then phones the police and she tells the police there's a head on the stove and there's a a woman's carcass in the bathtub, right? She explains the location and apparently Sylvia and Sean had called the cops so many times on Daniel and all of the neighbors as well that the cops, the police officers knew who Daniel was by name and there'd been so many stupid phone calls and they had gotten so sick of hearing about him that they're like, yeah, 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 whatever. And from my understanding, Sylvia did her share of drugs and so did Sean and, Mm. you know, all of them. It was kind of like this... You know, they were all kind of delusional. So the police didn't take it seriously, and they never investigated. They did not investigate. They didn't follow up, right? So She would have had to take the head to the uh, the police station. So apparently, uh, it was some time before this was discovered. Um, The only reason why the police started to take things seriously is because uh, Monica's parents in Switzerland called the police when Monica didn't answer their phone calls or reach out to them. Um, she wasn't going to work. She All this stuff. She wasn't going to school. So they filed a missing persons report and then the police saw that Sylvia had called in that Monica had been decapitated and her head had been boiled. <laughs> oh, God, right? Yeah. Well, let's, so check they started, let's follow that lead. Well, they're starting to follow. Yeah, they're starting yeah. to follow up. Hmm. Okay, so basically the police... Going back a little bit, the police didn't actually start following up what was going on with the situation for nearly two weeks, though. What? Because the parents, they didn't take the uh, the report seriously for almost, it was like 11 days, I think. Jeez. So it was 11 days after Monica's death that the police finally started getting involved. Hmm. What had happened was Daniel went and he, he got in an argument with Monica 
over having to move out. He got so enraged when she was go. He says that her mouth, she was running her mouth. He got, he picked up an extension cord and he strangled her. Um, but he choked her to death. Right. After she was dead, he then stomped her head, yeah. which was weird. Then he got a knife and stabbed her 30 times. Oh, I mean, I don't know why. He wanted to make sure that she was I guess. He just went ham on her poor body. So much rage and anger. I mean, so I don't know why he went through all that. But anyways, once she was dead, Daniel then proceeded to dismember Monica's body in the bathroom. He tried to cut her up into smaller pieces as, you know, as he could. And then he was flushing her body parts down the toilet to get rid of all of the evidence, you know, her entrails. He then gathered up the remaining bones and skull and placed them in a storage unit. And um, unbelievably, it seemed that he may, at that point, have gotten away with murder, right? right? Yeah. The problem is, this is prior to that uh, 11-day period where the police started taking things serious. Uh, he started to brag to all of his friends that he murdered Monica. Jesus. Uh, he's not hiding. He was actually telling anyone who would listen how he killed her, exactly what he did, that he dismembered her body and that he flushed her organs down the toilet. Um, but still, no one said anything. No one reported him. I mean, they just, nobody believed him because he's the crazy guy. Right. This story gets a lot worse, though. Daniel then starts going around and telling everybody that that soup that he made no. Yeah, that that was the stock that he made from boiling Monica's head and her body parts. No. Oh. He also said that he ate the soup himself, and he said that it, quote, tasted good. Okay. He then proceeded to tell people that he then fed the homeless people the soup that he had made from Monica's head and her other body parts. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely conflicting sources about the human soup, though. Um, some sources say that it was just a rumor. Other sources say that this is exactly what happened, that Daniel made the soup out of Monica's remains and then fed it to the unsuspecting homeless people. Okay. But, of course, we can't say for sure that this happened. There is no like definitive proof um, <laughs> that it happened. But we do know that Monica's head was in a pot on the stove. It was boiled with vegetables. Yeah. And I can't help but think, why else was Monica's head on the stove? You know, right. like yeah. he, he clearly vegetables. He clearly cooked it in some sort of way. Um, just the fact that it was in a, a pot on the stove. Yeah. I'm leaning towards that it actually happened. Yeah. The thing is, um, one of the homeless people also said when they were interviewed by the police that they found a knuckle bone in their stew. Uh, right. So they they were pretty solid with the fact that they were eating. The knuckle bone that they found was big, and it was not like a chicken bone. It was definitely something oh different. God. Some people were like, we're eating people. They're like, yeah, well. Oh right. Well. well, this is. I'm eating it anyway. Definitely. This whole thing definitely of what led Daniel to become so infamous uh, because of these rumored cannibalistic acts. Yeah. Uh, he was telling too, just like yeah, right. Yeah. Well, he was telling pretty much everyone about what he'd done. Inevitably, it's not going to stay quiet for too long. Finally, um, we don't know how the word had actually gotten to the police about the cannibalism, um, but the police opened an investigation, and then 
on the 18th of September, 1989, which is approximately um, exactly a month after the murder, Daniel was arrested for the murder of Monica. Um, Police interviewed Daniel uh, when he basically, he never denied it. That's just it. When they arrested him and they interviewed him, he came clean straight away. He confessed to the whole thing. Um, He told everyone exactly what he did. Um, The story we just heard, he fed him? Yep. Okay. Yeah, so basically he goes into detail um, with the police exactly what he did. Now, there's a whole long thing here because I listened to the, the police interview. But basically what he did was he strangled her, he stomped on her, he stabbed her 30 times. Then he dissected her body into small pieces. Um, he removed all of the flesh from the bones. He flushed all of the organs. And then he took um, her head, for one, because he wanted her skull. But he took all of the meat parts and went and bought a giant crock pot, like a stock pot from the hardware store. And he had um, a couple of bags of potatoes and some onions that he had peddled. He had panhandled outside of a grocery store. That's how he made uh, the food for the homeless was that he would stand outside of a grocery store instead of asking for money. Oh, he'd ask for onions or onions or whatever. So that's what he did. Uh, he had some stuff left over. So he basically boiled her body with potatoes, uh, what he called wood salt, okay. um, water, and carrots and onions. He made stew. Um, and then he said that he uh, flushed everything else down the toilet. And he took the larger bones and put them in a bucket, in a bucket of kitty litter, and put them in a storage unit that he had rented. Dude. So... It almost sounds like he pre-planned this. But right, he did exactly. This, he did this afterwards. Though. Right. After he killed her, he's like, oh, fuck, I right. gotta get a crock pot. You see, it sounds like he was, it sounds premeditated, it right? Does. It sounds like he bought the crock pot first. I was like, you know what? Fuck yeah. You. Well, so basically, the police asked all these questions. He admitted to everything. He told the whole story. So the police go to Daniel's apartment, and they pretty much rip up the plumbing. Uh, all the pipes. They're looking for any evidence that they could find. The thing is, they found nothing. Um, this was 1989, oh. though. You know, this is pre-DNA, pre-heavy right. forensics. <clears throat> Technology, where we're at now, there's no way. I guarantee you they you would have been have able to find it, yeah. some sort of evidence yeah. in the plumbing. They couldn't find anything in 1989. Then um, they asked Daniel where the rest of the remains were, um, meaning the large bones. And Daniel replied that he said he put him in a bucket, covered him with kitty litter, and he kept uh, the bones and the skull in a storage unit. And his plan was to return them all back to Monica's mom in Switzerland. He wanted to send her mother all of her bones so she could be properly buried. Holy fuck. The police went to the storage unit uh, that he said where he put the stuff, and they found it. They found her bones. They found her skull. Daniel Rakowitz went to trial in February of 1991, and the case made a lot of, I mean, he made huge headlines. Yeah, when you eat people. Yeah. The headlines were like, man accused of killing and boiling his roommate. Um, Even though Daniel had made a full confession, he decided to plead not guilty. Really? He was now saying that he did not kill Monica, Monica at all, and it had been a setup. Someone was framing him. 
So the trial lasted six weeks. And during the six-week period, Daniel actually went on really long ramblings about all kinds of crap. He just went... He would sit on the witness stand and just ramble. I don't know why his attorneys put him on the stand, but he would just... He didn't make much sense. Uh, Daniel's mental health was absolutely deteriorating even more so. And it was brought up in the trial. Uh, he was assessed by a number of psychiatrists. And as Daniel's defense, they were claiming that he was not of sane mind when he committed the murder. And in the end, the jury agreed with this. After nine days of deliberation, Daniel Rakowitz was found not guilty by reason of insanity. Hmm. In response to the revert verdict, Daniel turned to the jury and said, quote, I won't fault you for your verdict. The prosecution had an overwhelming case against me. I hope someday we can smoke a joint together. <laughs> oh, boy. Right? Daniel was then sent to the maximum security Kirby Psychiatric Center in New York's Ward Island. Even though there have been numerous hearings and re to reassess his sanity, Daniel Rakowitz currently, I think he's 61 or 62. He still remains there to this day. Oh, wow. Uh, not much is known about Monica, um, his victim. Obviously, um, I would have said something more about right. it, but that's pretty much all I've, I knew about her. They kept her private, um, life private. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what happened. Uh, I don't know about her burial. I don't know about her family. None of that stuff. But that's basically my story. Dude is still in a psych ward. Uh, he fed his lover to the homeless and ate her body and flushed her organs down the toilet. That's a unique story. Cleaned her bones and was going to send them to her mother that's to it. have her properly buried. You can see how he rationalized that. Well, let's talk about this on the other side of the thing. Well, that was fucked up and gross. Let's find out what our dipshits think about all whatever the fuck this was, eh? Well, fuck. <laughs> uh, so I've heard the story told to me now. I heard a short, condensed version, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I've heard this version. Right. And I don't like this guy in either version. Right. Uh, I'm not, I mean, he's obviously the dipshit. Dangerous but, man. But a lot of empathy for him growing mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. Anybody in those kind of situations, right. we all have empathy for those those things. Right, 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 right. But like you said, there's a, you know, if there was a switch, they fucking shot darts at it every fucking day yeah. to turn it on. Well, see, with this guy, Daniel, um, he was a dangerous individual. Yeah. Because he had very little, um, what's the word? Control. Control. He's capricious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He lived extremely delusional. Deluded, yeah. Those delusional uh, thoughts and the world that he lived in, he just thought it made sense that yeah. he would do these things. It just made sense. Yeah, that's, you know? that's the weird thing about this is how nonchalant really. Right. Obviously, I'm sure the, the violence that occurred was pretty terrible and not nonchalant. It had the, to have been. It, feeding ugh. people, like preparing it like, you know what I think would go good? Carrots. He, I should get some carrots. It, he, uh, in his interview, he's saying, the he uses the words... Like the horrific thing I did, uh, the terrible thing I did with zero emotion. It's almost like he's telling a story. Hmm. Um, and it's a weird situation because he's saying things he knows he's supposed to say, even though he's not feeling the emotions. And it's he's not nefarious. He's not trying to manipulate anybody. Mm -hmm. He just is. He's just he's just being himself. And it's a very weird 
interview to watch. It's like two different dimensions clashing into yes, each other. Yes, exactly. Where there's just no way to communicate, but there is wreckage. So I see him as an extremely dangerous person. The interesting person to talk to or mm-hmm. people to talk to in this about him would mm-hmm. be how well it would be his doctors, nurses. Mm-hmm. And see, like, how well did medication? Because, you know, they've medicated him highly since the 90, early 90s. Oh, yeah. He's in a high-security uh, psychiatric ward now. So I wonder how well it's worked. I don't you know? know. I wonder if I wonder where he is as far as... Uh, I mean, it's all dark, and, and we mm-hmm. always definitely regret people losing their lives early. Mm-hmm. But it's also interesting, once these poor deeds have been done, uh, mm-hmm. to follow up, to figure out... I don't know what we learn, really. Mm-mm. I think the idea is to, like, maybe one day we'll be able to learn how to stop whatever role we are playing in helping a psycho psycho. As human beings, the things we don't understand typically scare us. And when they scare us, we shun them. Mm-hmm. Um, gaining a better understanding of how the human brain works... Once you have an understanding, it takes the fear away. Um, the only way to gain that understanding, though, is through um, research and experience and um, <clears throat> interviews. Dedicating and that sort of your thing. life to it. So exactly, and you know the, the the problem is there are certain patterns that these individuals follow, but the patterns don't match everyone. Right. That's for real. And that's the weird thing. It's not like they can draw your blood and say, oh, yeah, you've got a little psychosis here. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not something that you can actually look at under a microscope. So it's a very strange thing. And it's it's left us wanting. It's really and it's left us fearful. And it's left our society worse off Mm -hmm. as a whole because we're not treating you know, any of these situations like the like some of this could have manifested in that that encampment mm-hmm. it could allowed have allowed to go nuts with drugs and, and yes but this ch- he was three when his mom died in front of him yeah. he never forgot that experience he was five when he was delusional so this is mental illness from a from a very young age for real yeah i mean for it that's what it looks like Mm-hmm. And again, but we don't know what these triggers are. Right. But throughout this story, there were all these other elements, too, where he was drawn to, you know, a troubled crowd, a, a place that could use uh, society to maybe try something else. Right. You know, and that's what I, I well, keep Well, he was at, like, drawn to the fringes of society because he was a fringe person. There's nowhere else to go. Right. But really, I mean, even today, mm-hmm. this is the same solution. Here in Spokane, we have mm-hmm. a similar system where people are in there, mm-hmm. you know, suffering from things where we don't know what to do for them. Mm-hmm. And maybe some people do know. Maybe there is some treatments for some of these things, but they're not accessible uh, right. necessarily to them. And maybe mm-hmm. they don't know about them. And it's just weird because, you know, we shut down, we shut down mental asylums and and for some good reason too. like the fear that modern people have of the past Mm -hmm. treatment of uh, any mental illness Mm -hmm. at all. Right. It's very valid for us to be super skeptical of that kind of power doctors have. Right. And, you know, all sorts of shit. We all know. Even the doctors are like, yeah, we don't. don't." Yeah. And so, but we don't want that type of authority. Right. But we've also then just allowed for medication to be the answer. Uh, which isn't the answer for well, that's, everybody. That's it seems. not. That's not the answer for those that are de- that are highly delusional. Because when, as a highly delusional individual, uh, they usually will take antipsychotics mm-hmm. along with a cocktail of other things. 
the moment get off of it when they start feeling good right they stop taking them because they feel they're delusional yeah um they feel good and they don't feel that they need them anymore well the reason they're not that way feeling that way anymore is because of the meds because the chemicals balancing out right yeah so it's it's a challenging thing these grown adults um, should be responsible for themselves and should have personal freedoms mm-hmm. to make choices. Um, the challenges, you know, as a society, we need to honor those things. The challenges are their choices are uh, <laughs> not conducive to mental health. Right. So I'm very much middle of the road, uh, not sure which side I look to it's on one this. Of the, it's one of the toughest questions it's for very, humanity, I think. Yeah, it's a it's very difficult, very difficult thing. Yeah. How it, do you how do you uh, allow one hundred percent of adult individuals personal freedoms? Um, a hundred percent of the time, right? When it's colliding up with right. other people's freedoms exactly. and their personal property it's and a private very, property, it's, and, and I don't, I don't even want to talk about it because I don't have any answers. I know, dude. We did so much research on it mm-hmm. for like. I always talk about time suck. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a while ago now, but uh, there was. Two That's where the research was done, though. Yeah, right. there was two mm-hmm. or three done on the homeless situation, mm-hmm. on drug use, on mm-hmm. mental stuff. Actually, quite a few on mental stuff, mm-hmm. and the combination. And it is kind of frustrating because when you get down to it, uh, you know, we as humans are, are very confident with with our prescriptions for the world, mm-hmm. but, but our level of knowledge about these kind of things, which is right. super fundamental, yeah, uh, you know, how the brain works, why it's we do lacking. the things we do, <laughs> that, and then what to do with people that fall through the cracks that don't fit into these boxes right. that we really, really want for society to work. We got to mm-hmm. fit this box. And, you know, our compassion for that. Like every time mm-hmm. I looked into it, it was heartbreaking. And also, you know, there's some shovelcock stuff out there for sure. For those of you guys that know what that is. Uh, and I don't want to, you know, put shovelcock into the world. My job from, for the rest of my life is to reduce the amount of shovelcock in my life. That's why I'm telling you all this stuff so you can catch me on it. But the way we've treated uh, this in the past is horrific. Yeah. And I did find some stuff even recently that... You know, people would bring their kids, their family out, and and who knows how much hyperbole this is, mm-hmm. but just to mock people that you know, who knows what kind of mental illnesses mm-hmm. were prescribed. But they would go to like the the mental homes, and for that it was their Saturday. They'd sell hot dogs and shit, and you know, who knows how much hyperbole that is? Mm-hmm. Hyperbole, hyperbole. <laughs> but you get the vibe. Yeah, that that is how people looked at it. Right. I mean, these are this. We come from people that used to gather around and watch the heads roll at mm-hmm. the guillotine. So yeah, if it's they not a if they could have a hot dog on a stick and a giant Slurpee while they were doing it, they would. Right. It was a party. Right. It was a. It was an event. It might as well. They take the everybody's kids. together. We're all dressed up. Take grandma. Don't forget her <laughs> rocking chair. This, this will be Timmy. Fine. Put on your Sunday best. You'll want to see this, Timmy. Try and stay back a little bit. <laughs> I don't. Don't forget your plastic bag. So you know, and I'm not judging your the past. plastic sheeting. <laughs> right. Gross. <laughs> it's like a Gallagher concert. <laughs> That's where Gallagher fucking learned. He's like, he wants oh, sheets. Shit. Comes from the guillotine days. That's they always terrible. had sheets for the first three rows. I can't believe I'm laughing at that it is dark i think it's been enough time since guillotine days yeah but I, anyway it's just weird and i don't know why i'm going off on a tangent i'm not sure how directly it, it you know coincides with our episode but i wish we could figure out you know this what it is that we're missing 
where people fall through the cracks like this. Because mm-hmm. you, you, I want to give people freedom all the time. Mm-hmm. That's always where I want to lean first. Yes. But like you said, there's a, there's a time where that it's impossible to do, mm-hmm. and we have to be rational without hurting other people. Well, that's too much to ask for. Was there anything in the story? I don't want to keep pontificating. Uh, that you left out that you thought. There was, uh, yeah, small details, you know, little things. Nothing consequential at all. Nothing too, yeah, nothing too much, nothing too big. I pretty much added just about everything into this story, or or at least touched on it. How'd you find it? Where'd this fall on the radar? It actually came, this was uh, a Murderpedia article. So Mm. I don't know. I'm sure you know. Yeah. yeah. So I was going through and I was pulling details on um, two other looking for information on two others. There's several really good sources out there where you can find um, the story itself, Mm -hmm. the base of the story. Right. Can't go off of that, though, because it's written five or six different times by five or six different people in five or six different ways. Yeah. So you just pull the name. And then you have to start your research oh, yeah. from there. Um, with, you know, with and time what, suck. I had to read every damn book that there was on the guy. I know. Or gal. Or I know. Yeah. I'm glad we, we don't mm-hmm. do that. It's a little mm-hmm. shorter. We're not trying to. Right. <laughs> but you, you get, you know, that's where I found it was right. in a murderpedia thing where I, it was like the, uh, the homeless uh, cannibal or something. Right. Some in- <clears throat> intriguing yeah. title. It was intriguing. And so that's, you know, I started looking into it. I'm like, what the fuck? This actually happened. And the fact that it happened during a period of time that I was coming into adulthood, um, when this happened, I think I was 17, you know, um, I was listening to Black Flag. <laughs> yeah, right. Henry Rollins. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it was, it was an interesting, uh, is interesting. Yeah, the kind of me. connection. Yeah, to there was the, a connection to yeah. it. Yeah. Fuck. So you know, here we are. New York has been through some <clears throat> shit. Mm-hmm. Like a, like a country's worth of shit. New York City. Has well, been then through. going oh through God. and doing the research on the Tompkins Park, uh, the Lower East Side, the mm-hmm. Tompkins Park riots. Right. Crazy, dark, awful shit right. happened during that period of time, and it's just evident that um, change and growth is painful. It's painful when you have individuals pushing for it and other on the flip side, other individuals pushing for it not. I hope <clears throat> that because we can do, I mean, everybody's podcasting or, or, or engaged with more talky talky, longer form. Mm-hmm. A lot more people are. Mm-hmm. I hope that we can figure out how to fucking be nice to each other. Oh, wouldn't that be great? Through this. Yeah. Because that was what we were promised with the internet. That was one of the things that we were all excited about. It'll bring about. us all together. It will bring the world together. Hands across America. And it does. And it has. It's made the world smaller. But uh, yeah. there are a lot of governments that don't like us talking mm-hmm. with each other because they mm-hmm. know how powerful this is. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of problems uh, that have come with this too. Mm-hmm. But God damn it, we can have a conversation where it's like, why are we, why are we acting this way about mm-hmm. this? Why, why are we listening to, to the people that continue the problem too? Like mm-hmm. we're, we're just letting them at this point because we all mm-hmm. can talk to each other. They don't even half of the people that are running the show don't even know how to use Facebook. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at Congress and the people that are doing well, essentially, some of the bad <clears throat> If we can collectively, as a society, calm the fuck down, right. understand that it's okay to be wrong, yeah, uh, admit when you've fucked up. And be open to other points of view um, and examine the other side of the coin that goes against your views so you can actually find out, wait a minute, what what is it that's the opposite of what I think? And how do I feel about that? As soon as we can do those things, 
collectively. I think uh, that's where our growth can begin. Yeah. You know? And fuck, I'm no better than anyone else. I have a hell of a time admitting when I'm wrong. I do it, but I fucking hate it. Right. It's really not like (laughs) an easy thing for people. No, and when I truly, truly have my head and heart set on something, I don't want to stop. Right. I I don't want to stop and look at the other side of things and be like, Oh, well, okay, so maybe I'm wrong. I don't want to ever do that. <laughs> I, right. I do it, but I don't like doing it. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, it's it's not easy. And there are times where I'm like, fuck it, no, this is what I think. I'm not examining any further. Right. And, you know, and then I end my own education right there. But How dare you? That's, that's <clears throat> I know. ignorance right there. I know. How dare you? I know. Get off the ship. Sometimes, Get off the island. Sometimes it happens. I do, it doesn't happen for long because I do eventually do look yeah. into things you because I have that. to. Right. But anyways, so there's our story. That's, Crazy. you know, tail end. Um uh, guy's still in prison. He's still alive today, and yeah. what a what a story! Yeah, and what a what a moment in time. Uh, this was actually the episode that was supposed to come out last week, right? Um, and we had to. This is a mulligan. We had to take a day. <laughs> we had to take a day off. I had the flu last week. Yeah, you did. A uh, few days. It yeah, and it it kicked my butt. But I'm feeling much and, better. And it doesn't make people feel better to have to do a bunch of research and then talk and then. Well, the, see, that's just it. I had like a hundred and I don't know, hundred and two temperature or something. Mm-hmm. There's no way I could not even speak, let alone tell a story. Yeah. Uh, there's no way I could have done you this. Get, you get to have a break from time to time. There's no way and I you got, podcast all, all of the work days long. All you listeners would have heard it in my voice. There's no way, and it's not that I was nasally or anything. It was just, uh, my head was not on straight at all. I was like, duh. We, we decided early in the day. It was like, it's not, mm-hmm. you don't get better by working hard. You're yeah. supposed to sleep and rest. Relax. Yeah. yeah. And, and you guys are forgiving <clears throat> and stuff. And we decided this ourselves. Mm-hmm. We decided that we wanted to do a show every day mm-hmm. during the week. Mm-hmm. And, and we can also decide to be like, eh, not today. <laughs> we haven't yet. And, right. I, and I come from, back uh, well, to Time I, Suck again, I come from the culture of yeah. that, and you mm-hmm. do too. You're a corporate you know, mm-hmm. world, and you're, and you're a business owner too, so mm-hmm. you're like, fucking, we, we follow we the We do what we do, yeah. We do what we say we're going to do, but it's okay. These are just podcasts. It was difficult for me to uh, admit that I couldn't. I had to take a day off. That was really hard. Right. I haven't done it yet, <clears> right? So <throat> No. I mean, I know you haven't. So, and I have that same argument in my head where I'm yeah, like, it's like oh, but I can't. I, I want, there, there's some people that will be like, oh, no, take the time off. Mm-hmm. Enjoy. And there's some people that just <clears throat> join and like, ah, and, mm-hmm. and it's for the ah. I'm like, no, you just, you just started. Okay. You need one more. You know? Yeah. And right. I like doing it so much too. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I, I love it. I feel like if we were to take a break and go, you know. I would like to go to Greece or, you know, there's a few places, Ireland, there's mm. some fun places mm-hmm. to go. I feel like I'd be in Greece be like, I need to make skits. I miss this. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But I would, I, we should maybe, well, we'll talk about this behind the paywall and mm-hmm. the Patreon. Oh yeah. But, uh, you know, eventually we probably will skip a week or two or three or four, mm-hmm. uh, during the year, but not yet. Not, not yet. For a while. <clears throat> it's too much fun. We're having fun doing this with you guys every yeah. day. And uh, we love this community. I just got so much, both of us got an outpouring for our birthday week. Yes. uh, Since we both have our birthdays in the same week. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's been overwhelming. It's been wonderful. And being part of this community is, uh, I don't know, it's the most unique thing I've ever been a part of. I love them all. Yeah. And (laughs) 
I bet it's basically like every one of you that's listening, I'm cheering for you mm-hmm. to succeed. And I mean, I'm cheering for everybody, but mm-hmm. specifically you. <laughs> and it's, of course, because you're supporting me, but it's mm-hmm. not. It's not just that. I feel like, uh, you know, mm-hmm. as we podcast, we, we share more intimate details with ourselves mm-hmm. and we kind of find our people. Right. And I really am enjoying the people that uh, have found us. Yes. And uh, so, yeah. I love our tribe. It's very cool. Yeah. I feel like we could go to battle with any tribe, <laughs> except for, you know, some of the bigger ones. They're, they'll eat us alive, you guys. We, Give me freedom. But I also don't want to grow much larger. <laughs> I say, don't don't share this. Don't, subs- don't tell anyone else to subscribe. <laughs> Keep this to yourself. <laughs> if you find somebody, maybe that you're like, yeah, maybe they'll get it. But just let's keep it to ourselves. It's fun this way, mm-hmm. you know. And we're not starving over here. We're doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, we appreciate you guys, though, at Patreon. Yes. That's why we're doing pretty good. Uh, but this is great. Keep it to yourselves. <laughs> so thank you to the Trusted Turd Triad. You guys know who they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you to all of the people that help. All the groups on Facebook and all yes. the social media, Discord, all that stuff. Uh, welcome back to Don uh, from Cambodia. Yes. I've been saying that every show, but uh, you know, yep. nice to have him welcome back. back. Welcome back. Uh, but thank you to Chris, our Discord Dookie Slayer, and to Bodhi the Quartermaster mm-hmm. doing stuff behind the scenes, and to PJ and Minnie doing yes. stuff, and to Alan at the Garbage Disposal being awesome all the time, uh, and to all you Godhead members mm-hmm. that, that are out there, despite all of the controversy around you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys are good shits, and you know it, and you're doing good things. And yeah. Uh, there's tons of people. David Carpenter for doing all the cool stuff he's doing, mm-hmm. and, and so, all, so many of you guys that we're going to start collaborating with in the future. Uh, yeah, this is going to be fun. This is going to be a fun ride. For, mm-hmm. You know, it's been fun, and there's more stuff coming. So, info at scatcast.com, patreon.com forward slash scatcast, uh, scatcast.com for the merch, mm-hmm. which will be changing up a bit here. We're going to remove a lot of that stuff here. We're going to talk about that behind the paywall yeah, too. We'll revamp some <laughs> of that. So if you want merch, you better get up there. If there's something you've been eyeballing, but no, it'll be a while. But uh, as always, we'll talk at you in the future. And it'll seem like the present. Bye. Bye. Fart noise with mouth. There's really nothing. There's, yeah, we've that's done them all. all the things. We've done them all. <laughs> <laughs>